0: Section Three of War, the Creator by Gillette Burgess. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. War, the Creator, Part Seven. The nerve-racking, deafening din went on and on without a respite. Brock was hit in the head. He was a living, breathing horror. His whole jaw gone. One hand plucking at his coat. He lay grotesquely uncomfortable on his back rolling this way and rolling that way on his knapsack, and his tin gamel, and the dozen other accoutrements he couldn't get rid of. A dozen lads he had gone to school with in Toulouse were screaming. One called for his mother again and again, Maman, Maman, Maman! Most of the wounded lay still in their blood, or moaned and writhed in their agony. On Coco's left, he said, was a body without a head. Coco, he confessed, thought more than once of running. What was the use of staying only to be butchered? They could do no good that way. But still the regiment held its place. Yes, but the regiment was getting strangely thin. It could not last long. Coco looked round for François, who should have been beside him. There he was, close by, grinning. He called out something to keep up Coco's courage but in that inferno Coco couldn't hear a word. Then, instantly, there was a gigantic explosion, and when Coco rose again, he looked, he grew numb. There was Francois on his back, with both legs queerly bent in an impossible position. With a sickening wave of nausea, Coco saw that both the boy's legs were shockingly crushed, all but torn off, and his red pantaloons were soaking in blood. François's face was horrible now, his eyes were shining wildly. Coco, shrinking with horror, managed to crawl toward him. In the hospital at Toulouse, when Coco told me this, lying in his cot, he shrank convulsively into himself with horror, just as he must have recoiled, I fancy, that day. He wouldn't look at me. His eyes were fixed on the window. Coco told me, then, that Francois's legs were torn quite off. He was sure of it. But I imagine that, in his agony of horror, Coco must have been mistaken, or Francois would have bled to death very quickly. Coco says he lived for nearly three-quarters of an hour. At any rate, his chum was done for, and suffering torments unspeakable. He just looked at me and begged me to kill him said Coco, his eyes still on the window. He said, Coco could hardly speak now, he said if, if I was his friend, I'd finish him, so he wouldn't suffer. There was such a terrible noise of the shells bursting that I couldn't quite hear at first. I had to hold my head close to get what he said. He said, if he had helped me, ever, now was my chance to be his friend and put him out of his misery. We were silent for a while, I was looking at him, getting up my courage to ask a question. Finally I dared, I simply had to ask it. …'Did you do it, Coco?' The tears poured into Coco's eyes now. He shook his head slowly, without a word. …'Do you regret not having… done what he wanted, Coco?' Coco said simply, …'I don't know. I would have wanted to die quickly, perhaps, as his friend, I ought to have done it. But I am a good Catholic, you know, monsieur, and I was taught that it is a sin to take human life. Quite naturally,' he added, "'and yet I suppose I have killed a lot of Germans.' He shook his head wearily. "'I can't understand it. I must leave it for the church to decide. I did the best I could.'" Eight. At last he turned and looked at me with an expression that made me feel guilty enough at having asked. But that isn't all, monsieur. I haven't told you the worst part yet. Last week his father, François's father, came here to see me. He asked me if I knew anything about François, how he died. What could I say? Of course I couldn't tell him. I saw him fall, that's all I said. And I was glad then that I hadn't done it. No, i can't talk about it any more monsieur don't ask me to please part nine for two hours the twentieth regiment endured the storm of shell to advance a regiment of infantry like that without artillery support was surely an incredible piece of criminal stupidity some one had blundered but there were many blunders in those early days of the campaign and the truth hasn't all come out even yet one interesting fact, however, did come out, although Coco didn't hear of it for several days. It was a piece of sublime sentimentality impossible in any other than a French army, quite consistent with the character of the romantic, high-spirited colonel, who had orated so grandiloquently at the Toulouse railway station. The night before the Battle of Bertrix, the colonel had done a strange thing. He had, in the presence of his staff, burned the regimental colours. The enemy was in countless force against him. His gallic sense of honour, when he was ordered to attack an impregnable position, told him that there was only one thing to do. He must go forward with his men, and die, but the flag must not be captured. And so, go forward and die he did, that gallant old man. As Coco lay, under that august sun, in the rain of bursting shells, he heard a bugle ring out on the left flank. Four companies rose to their feet, and charged that murderous wood. At their head the colonel ran, waving his sword, yes, just like the battle pictures, Coco swears, ran for a few hundred yards toward his inevitable death, and dropped, with his honour unsullied. Behind him his men dropped, too, in appalling numbers, dropped singly and in bunches, till they faltered, stopped, then fell back. At this the whistles blew at last for the general retreat. It was high time, for, at the sight of this destruction all over the field, men had already begun to jump up and run toward the rear. Now they all ran, everybody ran, with the shells and shrapnel chasing them. They threw away their knapsacks, they threw away their guns, they ran, screaming and crying like children. Coco threw away his knapsack and Musette too but kept his rifle as he ran, making for a shelter in the woods on the other side of the road. You've no idea how much worse they were, those shells! When I had turned my back, I expected to be hit every moment. My spine fairly cringed. The remnants of the colonel's four companies were pulled together, and attempted to cover the retreat. But the regiment had stampeded. The officers shouted and swore. They struck men with their swords, some were even shot, but nothing could stop the rout. End of section three.